Well, if you've got your Bibles, will you open up with me? Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, we're going to do the offering at kind of the end of the service this morning. We have the taco truck coming up later. So he confirmed he's on his way, so we're thankful for that, as always. Uh, and we're, we're, we just want to say a warm uh, just welcome to Bob Clinton. He was our missionary. He's joined us today. Uh, Will Johnson was actually our first worship leader for the first three weeks, so he was able to lead us. So he joined us this morning for percussion, so we're thankful for that as well. And also, I think for the four people that have actually been here since the beginning. If you stand up, you've been here five years because we're a military church, so there's only a couple of us that have actually been here for five years. The Cottrells, yes. So we're thankful, thankful for that. <laughs> so Philippians chapter 3 is our text this morning. We're going to start there in verse 7, work our way down so that we can see the goodness of what this passage is all about. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, hear God's word with thee this morning. It says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Oh, indeed. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Uh, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. In Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you, uh, you have in us, for many of whom I have told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy in my crown, you stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Well, my friend just recently told me about a counseling session he had. He was kind of longing for more out of life, so he sat down with his counselor and began to explain these things as the counselor listened to him. She turned to him and says, I have an assignment for you. 
I want you to go home. I want you to think of your aspiration, your goals, and your dreams, and I want you to write them down on paper. Maybe dreams that you had personally, maybe dreams that you have vocationally, maybe dreams you have spiritually. She turned to him and began to, to, to really make this one point, though, to, to, to write all your dreams, even those you think are crazy. That those dreams that you maybe think are unattainable. Write down those as well, no matter how crazy they might seem. Because they're not as crazy as you might think. Counselor gave him an important lesson as he began to write his dreams down, that sometimes our dreams don't come to fruition simply because we don't put them down to paper. Sometimes we think they're too lofty or crazy. Sometimes we're not willing to put in the hard work, but yet if we put them down, you begin to see that they're, they're much more attainable than you might think. My friend turned to me and encouraged me to do the same thing, so yes, I went and began to write some goals down, some dreams but then I thought, maybe if I transform them into prayers. Because yes, I have dreams for my family, my church, my own personal life. But they're spoken so much better through prayers. So I thought, what, what would be a prayer that I would pray for myself? What would be one prayer I pray for, for my family? What would be one prayer I pray for the church? Then I thought, maybe if, would it change if God answered that prayer? Imagine if I prayed one prayer and he was going to answer it, would it change what I prayed for? I encourage you to go home this afternoon and try it. Think of a prayer for yourself, a prayer for your family, a prayer for the church. As I began to partake in this, again, I began to see that, that what I was beginning to pray over each one was pretty much the same theme. They all had the same theme involved. This morning, I want, to, I want to share with you that prayer that I pray over our church for the next 5, 20, 25 years of the church's life. What would God want to do in our midst? And interesting enough, that prayer is found in Philippians chapter 3. It's Paul's prayer. This is what Paul is praying for his church. And one of the reasons we know that he's praying this for his church because verse 17 tells us. I mean, you look at what verse 17 says, and he's, he says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What was that example? What is he longing for his church to imitate exactly what comes before it and what follows that verse? 7 to, to verse 16 really is the, the essence of what he's praying. And then he goes on again after verse 17. He says, this is my heart for you, church. And interesting enough, that's exactly what I'm praying for our church as well. What is that prayer? It's kind of broken down in three parts in the book of Philippians, so that's how I'll share it with you. And the first thing is this. I pray that our hope would be found in Christ alone. That we would have this singular aim in the life of our church that we would pursue Jesus. In fact, notice what Paul writes in verse 7 again. He says, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, refuse. 
in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from which that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul's writing a warning writing a warning to his church, very similar to what we see in the book of 2 Corinthians, because there's this group that was kind of infiltrating the churches that Paul was planting. A group of false teachers that, that many label as the super apostles, or in this text, we, we labeled them as the Judaizers. A group of individuals who are coming in and saying, yes, Jesus is great, but you got to hold on to that Old Testament law as well. Their thought process was this, that if we're going to submit ourselves to a Jewish Messiah, we should hold on to the Jewish Old Testament law. In essence, they're saying, and as they're beginning to say this, as you hold on to this Old Testament law, they begin to kind of develop this status ladder. The more you obeyed the law, including circumcision, the higher you kind of climbed up this status ladder. So Paul is warning this church of this group, and he says, hey... They're saying that you got to hold on to this Old Testament law and hold on to Jesus. And you kind of climb up this ladder, but yet he turns to this group and he says, hey, if they got reasons to boast in the flesh, I got even more. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. And remember, the tribe of Benjamin was one of the only one of two tribes that, that did not rebel when Solomon was king. He says, I was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews taught from Gamaliel himself, one of the top rabbis. I am a Pharisee. And Paul was part of the, the most well-respected conservative branch of the Jewish faith. He, he turns to his church in this moment. He says, hey, these false teachers are kind of popping up their resume, but if you compare my resume to theirs, mine will always stand on top. But then he turns to his church and he says, I count that all as loss. I count it all as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. In fact, he almost uses this, this vulgar word in the text in which he calls it refuse. In fact, he calls these people dogs. And in and, and this refuse, it was, it was the trash that dogs began to play in. So these people who were thought they were so lofty, he calls them dogs, and now he says it's all refuse. It's all trash compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus is Lord. In fact, again, catch what he says in verse 7. Whatever I gain, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Powerful words. Do those words mark our life? Do, do we, we count everything else lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus our Lord? See, I, I think we struggle in this area. Because deep down within this sinful human soul is this desire for status. Desire for the next rank. The desire to climb this ladder. And, and in many ways, there's this thought that we kind of almost like the Judaizer ladder that they built. Because for, for us, it, it gives us this sense of validation. If I just can climb a little bit higher than the person next to me, then I can feel good about myself. 
In fact, in many ways, I think that is almost even fills our soul even more, this desire to be better than the next person. We're all searching for validation. We're all searching to, to feel important in this life, and many times how we feel important is simply just being better than the person next to us. Do you feel that pull? Shows up in almost every area of our life. Got to compete with the Joneses. I gotta, I gotta make sure that this, that this house I have is better than the next person. If I just get the next house or if I, if I just get that car, then I'll feel validated inside. Sometimes it shows up in our parenting. Thinking if my kids behave better than so-and-so's kids. Or if my kids attend this school or are part of this homeschooling kind of program, then I'll, I'll feel really validated inside. Shows up in our work life. Again, if I achieve this rank faster than the guy next to me, if I get this promotion, then I feel really good. And if he even shows up in the church life, if I read this book, if I'm part of this kind of theological camp, I call myself more superior than the rest. And yet Paul turns to all of this all of these things that we think are so important because it puffs up our status. And he says, it's all loss. It's, it's refuse compared to the, to the great knowledge of new, knowing Jesus Christ is Lord. Friend, friends, do you hear his words? All these accomplishments, all these things that we value and think are important, the, the things that, that drive us to worry, he says it's all loss compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the, the difference for Paul is he, he saw no need to go search out for and try to, to validate his own righteousness when he, was, when he had Jesus Christ's righteousness clothed around him through the gospel. You, you see, it, it, it allowed him to pursue Christ in a greater way. Because every other pursuit in life began to diminish compared to pursuing Jesus. Friends, that's what I pray for our church. That we would have this singular aim about us, that we would pursue Jesus. And all these other accomplishments and, and, and trying to, 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 to gain the status begins to diminish. And we would pursue Christ alone. So you see, when, when we begin to see it in that clear fashion, we no longer compete with each other. We, we no longer are exhausted trying to fill our own validation because we have Christ's validation upon us. Friends, are you pursuing Jesus in this sort of manner? He had a singular aim. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Man, I cherish Christ. I look forward to Christ. I look forward to his coming. My eyes are geared on him alone. So the first thing I pray for our church is, yes, that we would have this singular aim in our life, that we would count everything else as loss compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Second thing I pray for our church is not only that we would have this singular aim that we pursue Jesus with all that we have, but that this singular aim would, would never tire in our life. That we'd never go tired of pursuing Jesus. Because notice what Paul says next. He says it in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
that I might know him. That word know there is really a relational word. It describes more of the sense of Paul is not saying, I just want to know more facts about Jesus, but I want to be tied to Jesus in relationship. I mean, I want, I want to know him. I want to see his power for myself. I want to experience and, and share in his sufferings, Paul writes. In fact, that last part, it gets me. Paul says, I want to share in his sufferings. And, and you know, you've got to know what that means. In essence, he's saying, hey, if, if it, whatever it takes for me to know Christ better, if it takes me suffering, then let it be. Let me suffer so that I can get to know my Savior in a way that I wouldn't be able to get to know him if I wasn't suffering. And you might be saying, that's way over the top. That's crazy thinking. Not so for those who understand the beauty of who Jesus is about. They say, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for me to know him, I'm willing to suffer. Yes, then let me suffer so that I can see Jesus in a clearer way. And we see this singular pursuit, not just in Paul's life, but we see it throughout the scriptures. Remember King David? Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, it, it thirsts for you. My body, it faints for you. And in like this dry and weary land where there is no water. You catch his hunger in those words. In fact, he gives us this, this crazy word picture at the end there. He says, my body faints for you like in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He compares this person in a desert, seeking after one thing because he's hot, he's exhausted. And he begins to compare that to his relationship with, with his God. In fact, I kind of want to take you there to, to really kind of go into this picture with David. He talks about this desert. I don't know if you know Bear Grylls. I'm a big fan of Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls is a retired SAS, kind of Royal British Army. And as he began to retire, he kind of got hurt in the Army, being special forces, and then he began to retire, and Discovery Channel gave him a show. Gave him a show called Man vs. Wild, in which he goes out and he kind of conquers these impossible tasks. He writes in his book that there's one task that he went on that was almost impossible. They almost didn't accomplish it. It was their time in the Sahara Desert. Bear Girls writes that it was 120 degrees out. Here it is. He's beginning to describe this picture in which steam is literally coming off the ground. Here they are, and, and they're trying to, to hike across the desert in 120 degrees. And have you ever experienced it where your throat begins to to hurt, it hurts to breathe, your eyes hurt because it's so hot outside. The entire crew is saying, let's just get out of here and get a cold glass of water. Bear Grylls says, they were beginning to drop like flies. True story, the first guy goes down because of heat stroke, the next guy goes down, the next guy goes down. They're down to three people on this journey because everybody's having to leave because of heat stroke. And then their sound technician goes out too. So it's only Bear Grylls, the driver, and this cameraman, and they have no sound man, and they're thinking, how are we going to complete this task? And in their desire, they finally complete it. They make the driver become the sound man. But in this desire, you're in the heat, and you're thinking about one thing and one thing alone, water. 
Your mind's consumed with it. You can't think about anything else. You are a singular pursuit after one thing and one thing alone, and it's water. And King David says, that is how I think about my God. He consumes my mind. Man, I, I, I got to search after him. My, my, my soul, it thirsts for you, God. My body, it aches and it faints for you, God. He says the same words in Psalm 42. Like the deer panteth for the water, my soul, it pants for you. Do you see this singular, this singular aim? Do you see this hunger within them? It's the same singular aim that, that Paul had, the same singular aim King David had, and I pray that this is our singular aim as well. That we have one thing in our mind. God, give me you. God, I want more of you. In fact, catch it in verse 12. Paul never tires of it. He says, not that I've already obtained of this or already been made perfect, but catch what he says next. I press on to make it my own. See, I, 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 I think Paul was able to, to never grow tired in his relationship with God because for Paul, it wasn't just reading about Jesus. Paul says, I want to experience you for myself. I, I want to make you my own. I want, to, I, want to, I want to see the power of your resurrection for myself. I want to share in your suffering so that I can feel you. Friends, that's my prayer for us, that, that we wouldn't just be content with reading about how we serve this big, great God. We wouldn't read about how wonderful our Savior is, but that we would want to taste and see it for ourselves. That we would long to see the power of his resurrection firsthand. That we would stand and, and have this anticipation and this longing to see his glory, to see front row seats, to see him work in our own lives that we would make it our own. Describe you? Is that what you long for yourself? See, the, the, the only way this takes place for me to make God my own is that, that when I begin to step out in faith and I become obedient to the commands he gives me. Because if I never step out in faith, I'll never see a big God show up in my life. But here's the thing. Every time I step out in faith, a big God shows up and I am able to see his power over and over again. And here's the thing. When I see it once, I long to see it again. See, when I step out in faith, what it does is it pushes me away from myself and it makes me lean in full dependence upon my God. Just this week, I'm, I'm recalling hurts and pains from years ago. I mean, I'm struggling to forgive. And what does it do? It pushes me away from myself. I can't do this command on myself. But then when I say I can't do it, I need your help, God, show up in my life, that's when I see him transform my heart. He allows me to love those who have hurt me in the past. He allows me to forgive. And I can give you example after example after example. And when we step out in faith, just the planting of this church, we didn't know who would show up. You step out in faith, but look at what God has done. This is a story of his faithfulness. It says it in our name. You get to see him work. 
When we become the, the father of the fatherless, again, we can't do it on our own, but we see a big God provide for our needs. He shows up. When we go out and we pursue him, in fact, every Sunday, i got to lean on his dependence. I am an introverted, shy guy. I don't like to speak in front of people. I think I've told you this before. In third grade, I literally ran out of the room crying because they made me sing in front of the class. So every Sunday, I have an opportunity to say, it's not about me, God. I need your help. And he shows up each and every week. Saw the video. He's not done with us. My prayer is that we would have attentive ears to be able to hear his voice, to hear his calling upon this place. And whatever he calls us to, no matter how big it is, we say we're all in. Because when we step out in faith, church, when we begin to see him show up, that's when we see his power and his might and his glory and his grace. So yes, my prayer is that we would have this singular aim, that we would not tire of this aim, and lastly, because of our hope in the future, that it would allow us to stand firm against any opposition that comes our way. What Paul writes next says, For many of us, uh, for many of whom I have often told you, now and tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is, is in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, catch it, our lowly bodies to be like this glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, catch this next part, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. You catch his hope in that passage? It says our hope is in the resurrection. That there's coming a day soon in which these lowly bodies, these bodies who are struck with illness and, and, and get tired so quickly, these bodies who, who have all these things associated and will be transformed in a blink of an eye to resurrected bodies. Bodies that are strong. Bodies who will not be tainted by sin any longer. These glorious bodies. He says, this, this hope that you have, it's a guaranteed hope. It's a sure. You don't have to question it or ever doubt it. You're, you're when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it, it's guaranteed that, that one day, there's coming a day in which we will be given this resurrected bodies. And because of that guarantee, what does he say next? He says, therefore, stand firm. What he's trying to get us to understand is the assurance of our hope should propel us to invest with everything we have. The assurance of our hope makes a big impact on how we live our lives. We should invest with everything we have. I was talking to my brother on Friday, and uh, my brother, he, <laughs> he tried to get me to, to invest in some of these things, and some of them were very risky. So he was on the phone. He asked me if I invested in this thing. I was like, I haven't invested in it yet. <laughs> a little too risky for me. But imagine if it was the opposite. Imagine if it was a, it was a sure and steady investment. 
Imagine if that investment was guaranteed. Imagine if I didn't have to question. When I invested it, it was going to produce something beyond my wildest dreams. It would be foolish of me not to say I'm all in, right? It would be foolish of me not to invest everything I had into it. That's what Paul's point is. He's saying, church, because your hope is is sure and steady because you don't ever have to question it because it's guaranteed in the words of Charles Barkley. It's guaranteed. Because it's guaranteed, we should be all in. Therefore, church, my joy and my crown, he says, therefore, stand firm. Be steadfast. Translation, be all in. My favorite passage in all of Scripture is Matthew 13, 44. It's the parable of the treasure, the hidden treasure, in which it says, the kingdom of God is like this treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it in his joy, he sold everything else to buy a field so he can bury it. He sold everything else. It wasn't a loss because he had something greater. My prayer for our church is that we would have this singular aim, that we would not grow tired of this singular aim, and that we would be people who are all in. We need people who are all in when it comes to evangelism because there's a world who needs to hear the good news of the gospel. We need people who are all in on on pursuing uh, this, this kind of multicultural ministry because that's what heaven is going to be like. We need all people all in when when we care for the fatherless because this is God's heart and we need all people who are all in when we go and proclaim Christ's glory to the nations because there is no greater way to live. Friends, we are in for a ride. Sometimes it gets rough. Sometimes it gets difficult. But oh, what a glorious ride it is. Would we have that singular aim? Would we not grow tired? Would we people that are all in for the glory of who Jesus is? God, I'm thankful for your word. Again, we have so many stories. We can marvel at how you have worked in this place. How you've protected us how you transformed us, how you have been with us through the lowly lowly moments of life to the highest moments. You are right there by our side. God, would you continue to propel us to you? God, would you continue to be in the life of your church? We confess this is your church. So God, do with it as you please. We simply just want to be available to you. Pray this in your glorious son's name. Amen.